0: Well, thank you. Back uh, as was introduced, um, Timothy Timothy Selbit, so, candidating uh, for the second trip up here to become uh, your main preaching, teaching elder. Um, I know Fred and Connie have some bad news about that. When they when I arrived after flying from Atlanta over here, I was a bit tired, and. Fred kindly just took me around his house, his backyard, let me take some photos, took me upstairs into the apartment where I'm staying, where I guess multiple pastors and probably a bunch of you have too, and so as he was about to go out of the garage uh, to Jordan and his family, he's like, all right, do you need anything? I'm like, nope, I got it, and I opened up a door and walked right into the closet, and so Fred went out to Jordan, he goes, I hate to say it, but this ain't the one, so that's uh blind leading the blind, I guess I don't know. Uh, but uh whew, bit more refreshed today uh, anyway it is it is glad to be back. Um, I think this trip uh, we we really wanted to give you an opportunity to be able to meet me on or get to ask me questions. Um, I mean, there's a lot you know, you want to know about the guy who may come as your uh, main preaching, teaching elder and serve you uh, and his family. So we wanted to have those connection points that the elders, I think, have done well to make happen. And like they said, there's that one tonight. So please don't hold back any questions. Uh, it's, I want to answer anything that, that you have, theological, political, whatever it may be. Uh, I've been a pastor seven, eight years, so I can, I can take it. Um, and, uh, and I want you to get to know me. I, I think one of the things I really wanted you to get to know about me was uh, two certain things, is I do take the gospel, and I take ministry very, very serious. Um, and then on the other note, I don't take myself very seriously, and I, and I try to keep those two things a priority. Um, so, uh, that's just a little bit about me, and if you have any other questions, please feel free to ask, and please make it tonight. Um, all questions are welcome. The text for today is 2 Corinthians 5, 17 through 21. And kind of as I briefly already stated, I realize it can be very difficult to feel uh, that you know the man or about the man who may become the next preaching, teaching, other, especially the main one. And prior to this, you've only had one weekend uh, about three weeks ago, really, to get to know me and my family. So the elders and I, as we discussed, what may be beneficial for my second trip, especially those connection points with you guys, but also on Sunday morning, we agreed that sharing a brief bit of my testimony might be very helpful, very valuable. And we also agreed it could be helpful if I was able to fit it in today's sermon. For the record, the first rule of preaching is not preaching yourself right you don't preach about yourself you preach about christ you preach about god so it's i i think with this text i'm able to do it by the way for kids and families you're off limits you're the best illustrations we have so uh but we don't preach ourselves. at least that's what we're taught the reason we don't preach ourselves is because preaching is not about exalting the preacher right the goal of preaching is not to become more like me Right? As I preach a sermon, rather the point of preaching is to exalt Christ, to exalt the triune God, and to proclaim His excellence in His work, especially on the cross. I learned the dangers of preaching myself years ago. Uh, I used to share my testimony all the time. I, I agree what the Lord has done in my life and rescued me out of. Uh, it's powerful. It is the grace of God and the power of redemption in my life. Very, very powerful. One of the problems that occurred as I was sharing my testimony, after I would share my testimony, is people would come up to me and they congratulate me for turning my life around. And I was like, I just spent a half hour explaining I couldn't turn my life around. And you're coming up to shake my hand and say, good job, buddy. You missed the the entire point of my testimony. I was unable to do it. I was unable to turn my life around. And I, and, and, and I actually got so frustrated uh, with that happening. Anytime I shared my testimony, uh, I would always prime it with, Now, by the end of my testimony, if you think that I'm the one that turned my life around, you missed the entire point of my testimony. So if at the end of this sermon and testimony you think that i turned my life around not only did you miss the entire point of the testimony you actually would miss the entire point of the text today in 2 corinthians 5 17 through 21 so it just to reiterate it won't be typical of me sharing my testimony in uh in a sermon uh it just today will be a little bit different uh as I incorporate my testimony and call to ministry, uh, because my testimony, like your testimony, is a demonstration of God's power and the validation of His Word, that it is true. So let me read the text. Second Corinthians 5, 17-21. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that we might become the righteousness of God. Let me pray. Uh, Heavenly Father, uh, sharing the testimony, called to ministry, the work you've done in my life, Lord, is hopefully this text, Lord, would recall what you've done in everyone's life who professes to be a believer, Lord, who's repented from their sin and turned to follow Jesus Christ as Lord. And, and God, is, is to do that, please emphasize. In verse 19, it says, not counting their trespasses against them, that they would say, then who did God count our trespasses against? And may the only answer that they conclude by the end of this sermon be Jesus Christ, that Jesus Christ, for our transgressions lord may they believe that and may they turn to him in trust and trust in faith lord we ask this in jesus name amen <laughs> point one is just verse 17 i literally just wrote verse 17 for the point uh, therefore if anyone is in christ he is a new creation the old has passed away behold the new has come Now the Apostle Paul wrote this letter to Corinth. He begins by saying, anyone in Christ. But I want to start earlier than that. So if Paul wrote, prior to being in Christ. Prior to being in Christ, we had no desire for God. We didn't love God. We had no desire to obey God. As the book of Judges repeatedly says about Israel, we were like Israel and we did what was right in our own eyes. We weren't concerned if what we did pleased God and instead we were consumed by whatever pleased us. Now I know some of us, some of you were saved early in life. Some of us were saved at a much later date. Some of us, some of you who were saved early, you may not be able really to recall much about your life before Christ. Some of us can remember it quite well. But it makes no difference if you began following Christ at a young age or an old one. Because either way, we all begin this life, we all began this life as sinners separated from our Creator. Every single one of us. No one gets a pass. Something happened. And then we get to the in Christ. Therefore, those in Christ. Anyone in Christ. Something happened. Somehow, we who had no affection for God, we suddenly did. Our desires changed. Our affections changed. Our new life in Christ became a living testimony to everybody around us. I mean, it's quite extraordinary if you think about it. On What happened, that transformation. One day we're just living our best life now without any regard for our Creator, without any regard for Jesus. Then suddenly everything we've ever desired before, before God, before Jesus, just completely loses its luster. We no longer want it. What we once regarded as pleasure, now we regard as sin. And, And it convicts us of sin. The things we never thought we could give up are now the things we never want to touch again. And then even more so, what we never dreamed about longing for now become our greatest desires and priorities. I mean, think about it. To an outside world of unbelievers, it's got to sound kind of weird that we're singing about a slaughtered lamb and his blood that forgives our sins. But now once we're saved, we're like, heck yeah. The blood of Jesus Christ is what forgives sins. We sing about the lamb. Maybe I shouldn't have used HECK. Sorry about that. For, just for uh, housekeeping, uh, this will be a G-rated testimony if you, for the little listening ears, if you want the full extended version, uh, see me after class. If you will. All of a sudden, one day. We had no love for God, and then boom, we have love. We love God and our faith. We have faith in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, something we've never believed before. All of a sudden, we believe it, and it changes our entire life. What happened? Verse 17 happened, right? God made us. God made you. If you are a Christian, God made you a new creation. The old is past, and the new has come. And and pay attention to to the language he uses in verse 17. Because Paul doesn't say we became better people, does he? No. He says we became new creations. If you do end up calling me as one of your elders, you will learn very quickly, uh, as Jacob and Selye's family learned this weekend, uh, on Friday, not that they made... Oh, man, this illustration is going to bomb. I should have never worded it like this. Sorry. Uh, (laughs) Sorry. You, they made me soup, just so you know. But you'll learn very quickly my distaste uh, disdain for mayonnaise. I mean, it's almost a phobia. We just don't have time to unpack all that this morning. But I mean, it's, it's bad. Um, I even had my wife just look over the sermon and testimony today. And she was like, I saw that you snuck in the mayonnaise illustration. And so, uh, But it, it actually does make sense for the illustration and this new creation. When I was about 14 years old, my sister and her friends, we just went out to Wendy's one night. They drove me to Wendy's. And After I ordered my food and unwrapped my burger, uh, it was completely covered in mayo. I mean, just drenched. Uh, I mean, honestly, it was no biggie because that was going to be like a pattern for the rest of my life. Any time I order something, it's just mayo on it. It's, I don't know. Uh, anyway, I take it back to the, do- or the doctor. I take it back to the worker. And I just say, hey, man, you know, I asked for no mayo. And he's like, sure. He grabbed it. He's like, I'll bring it out to your table. Okay. So I go have a seat. He comes back very quickly. Unwrap the new burger. Take the, it's just the same one. I take the bun off. All he did was just like smear it off. He wiped it on a counter or something. It's, ugh. And then he just put the same bun back on. But That's not what I wanted, right? That's not what I wanted. I didn't just want a sandwich that was better than the one he previously gave me. I wanted a new sandwich. Hopefully, if by now I've made you equate mayonnaise with sin, I've done my job and I can leave and the sermon's done. So go home. You're welcome. But love, this is what God does with sinners, right? He doesn't just wipe away some of the old version. The word of God says here he makes a completely new version. He takes the old and makes it a completely new creation, something that we never were. And and, and, and what it's supposed to reflect, this new version, the new that has come, is the image of his son, Jesus Christ. proposes a question, though. So if the Bible here says, and in many other places says that regenerate Christians, reborn. As we read from John 3 today, Jesus said you must be reborn. So if the Bible says that when a Christian's reborn, they will be transformed to look like Jesus, why are there so many people who claim to be Christians who look nothing like him? That's where my testimony begins. Because for many years I was a nominal Christian. In fact, up until 2010, I was a nominal Christian, which means I was a Christian by name only. I professed to be a Christian, but I looked nothing like Jesus. He certainly was not my Lord. For the record, the fact that people claim to be Christians, but yet look nothing like Jesus, doesn't negate the truth of God's word, it just negates their testimony. So here's mine. Again, G-rated, quick, brief. Throughout the years, like I said, I professed to be a Christian, but I didn't know God. I didn't even know what it meant for Jesus to be Lord. I definitely would have said I believe that he died and rose again. I walked an aisle many times during an altar call, probably 17 to 18 times. I repeatedly prayed the sinner's prayer, hoping that this time God would hear me. And yet I just continued to live a life that looked nothing like the Christian faith. there There were countless times I would even ask Christians when I knew I was still living in grievous sin. Shouldn't something be different? Why am I, I'm exactly like I used to be. Nothing's changed. I'm still lost. And typically the response was, well, all Christians still sin. Well, that may be true. And I'm not saying that's not true. But here in verse 17, the Apostle Paul says, the Word of God says, if you're in Christ, you're a new creation, and the old has passed and the new has come. As one of my favorite preachers, Alistair Begg, has said, Every Christian has a volume 1. That's the old sinful life. right? But they also, or they better have a volume 2. And that's the new creation Paul is talking about. But for me, up until 2010, the old, the volume 1 was still there. Volume 2 had never arrived. In verse 18, Paul tells us the transforming work That makes a, that turns a sinner who rejects God into a disciple of Jesus Christ who loves God. He says that it's all from God. Verse 18, he just starts with, All this is from God. Well, what's his point? That seems rather clear. It's God who does for us and in us what we were incapable of doing for ourselves. He's the one responsible for making us look more like Jesus. And for years, I looked nothing like Jesus. I went into the Marine Corps immediately after 9-11 in 2001. Three years later, I married a woman from Washington where I would eventually come to live in Everett. That's part of the Washington Washington Connection, in case you were wondering, what brought me to Leavenworth? In the midst of our marriage, we both became drug addicts. I'll PG it and say opiates. We did everything, but you can, you can run with that one. You know what I'm talking about. And that would be the hallmark of our marriage for many years to come. There was nothing, nothing that could set us free. Not even the birth of our daughter. You just don't know when you're going to cry in your testimony. That's what Jordan and I talked about last night. power of addiction, the power of sin is powerful not even the birth of our daughter Skylar in 2006 could set us free we wanted to change we didn't want to live the type of life that we were but we were slaves we were slaves to our addiction we were slaves to sin i was enslaved to sin to my addiction and, and ironically, the substances were the only thing, the only way I could suppress the man that I had become. And then sometime in the spring of 2010, after a night where I was alone in my room at my father's and cried out in anger and frustration to God, There's just something that drew me to start reading the Bible again and to go to church each Sunday. And then I began to attend Celebrate Recovery meetings, which they're like N.A. or A.A. meetings. They're addiction recovery. The higher power is just supposed to be Jesus Christ. And I came to meet a man who would become a lifelong friend. Even at that point, I wanted so badly to be free from addiction. I wasn't even using then, but I wasn't free from the desire. I remember saying to this friend in July 2010, you know, I may never use drugs again, but I'll never want to stop. I'll never stop having the desire to use. You know what? I underestimated, underestimated the power of God. I underestimate, I can't even say that word. Let me take a sip of water. If you've been freed from the addiction of sin, you know what it's like to be broken but to be so happy. If you've been forgiven for your sins, you get choked up. Our sins there are many, his mercy is more because just after a few days, almost literally after a few days, I had said that to, who would become my lifelong friend? That the power of sin and that desire would forever rule my life. The Spirit of God came and convicted me of my sin. And I repented from my sin. I knew that a Christian could not do the things I was doing, especially using substances. I didn't know everything that was going on. I just knew to, I had to follow Jesus as Lord, and you don't follow Jesus as Lord by being rebellious to him. And, I, and it, for the first time in my life, I didn't just believe that Jesus died on the cross, Right? I, I, for, for some sinners, I actually believe that Jesus died for me. There's a difference. I don't know if you know that difference yet. And in July 2010, I've never touched any substance since. And the Lord also freed me from that desire. I've never had the desire to use drugs again since July 2010. That's the power of God, loved one. You guys live in Washington. How many epidemics do you have in this state alone? What can set the captive free? How many different things are they trying? How many? I mean, for goodness' sake, around the nation, they're just saying just, just use, just let them use. It's so bad. Our message, the message of reconciliation that Paul says in verses 18 through 20, that through Christ be reconciled to God, the gospel and the Lord and the Spirit will set them free. I mean, in July, I finally knew what it meant to be free from the power of sin. My life was literally transformed overnight. Not only my actions. That's the thing. I didn't just have a better set of morals. I didn't just become a better person. My desires changed. My affections changed. The things I used to love to do, I no longer wanted to do them. And the things I never really cared to do, that's all I wanted to do. Mainly follow Jesus Christ. Read the Bible. Worship Him. Thank Him for setting me free. And short, in 2010, volume two, finally arrived. I was a new creation. The old had passed and the new had come. And I knew that this great work, as Paul says in verse 18, or begins in verse 18, had been done by God and done by God alone. but if you've been a christian for longer than today you know that the christian faith is not an easy path to walk and sadly uh, my wife at the time now my ex-wife she wasn't interested in my conversion and she left me to be with someone else and eventually ended up divorcing me i can say that was the hardest trial that i've ever had to face as a christian but I can also say with confidence that it was that that the Lord used to build my confidence in Him, to strengthen my faith, to mature me as a Christian. And, and, and I, I didn't want to be divorced. I didn't want to be separated from our daughter, Skylar. And for three years, I prayed and fasted regularly that God would reconcile us. And He did not. For the first time in my life. The evidence that I was a new creation and had been born again is I never went back to those substances to deal with the pain I'd never or, or even to numb it instead by the grace of God I trusted the Lord in every situation no matter what the outcome was going to be that's faith that's the Christian faith we take sides with God in everything well how do you know if it's god's side or not god's side the word of god it's what he's revealed for us to know his will and 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 i think most of you have met or know the lord was gracious to eventually give me a wife a new wife who loves the lord uh, we actually met in seminary. I went to the same seminary as David. Uh, we didn't know each other at the time. We've had time to talk about you guys, uh, you know, since uh, I applied here. Um, and, uh, but we went to the same seminary. That's where I met my wife. We just had our six-year anniversary, September 4th. And we have two lovely daughters, Violet and Mary, who you guys have got to meet. And I must mention my firstborn, Skylar, who we do Deeply love. She's from my first marriage, and she only lives a few hours away from here. So I've been asking the Lord to bring our family to Washington for over a decade. You're actually the first church that's ever let me candidate. By God's grace and God's grace alone, not only had I been transformed, so has my entire life. Jesus says, and I found this to be true that the Lord was kind to restore the years that the locusts had eaten. Call to ministry. Verses 18 being all this is from God. It says, God through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. And entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. That great work in verse 17 that the Lord does in all of us who believe, who repent and believe in His Son, Jesus Christ, that's just the starting point. Verses 18-20 through taught me, and taught me early on, that God was not finished with me. He saved me for a purpose. And that purpose was greater than me. That purpose is greater than any of us. As I stated at the beginning, my, my testimony, our testimonies are not meant for us to be exalted. We are saved and we are meant to glorify God in His work, especially His work through Christ. And soon after I was saved, He placed the desire for ministry on my heart. And as I worked through all my marital, theological issues and counsels and wondering what that might look like, which I would love for you to ask if you wonder uh, how I square that with First Timothy 3.2. If you don't know what I'm talking about, just ask me what I'm talking about after and I'll, uh, and I'll share. As I walked through that and was walked through that and counseled, there were two main desires that I had for ministry. One was to preach the gospel to the lost to unbelievers and one was the shepherd, the Church of Jesus Christ, and the people that he died for, help disciple, help pray with, uh, or pray for, to walk with them through the word of God. to love them, love them well. And the verse that he engraved on my heart specifically for ministry, was Second Timothy 4.2, which says, preach the Word. That's what I wanted to do. That's, that's what I still want to do, clearly. But I, I, what I didn't want to do is just invent clever messages or clever sermons or culturally relevant messages because I believe the Word of God when it said, the most relevant message for our culture today is that God forgives sinners through the death of His Son Jesus Christ. That is the most relevant message, and following behind that, it, it, also in first place, is that in what Leavenworth, what's culturally re- relevant in Leavenworth in, in the world today, has not changed in over 2,000 years, is that Jesus Christ, rose from the dead To be fair to the preacher it's hard not to yell in here when you get passionate it's it just kind of booms <laughs> The resurrection is it's the answer to the condition of this world It doesn't appear that The world has any answers, does it? And the resurrection, it's the answer to all evil and all sin, to all sorrow and all heartache, broken marriages, broken families, bitterness, anger, desperation and despair, depression and anxiety, addictions, idolatries, and anything else that is impure or contrary to what God wants. Because when Jesus rose from the dead, and what that means is it means that He defeated the power of sin that enslaves every single one of us, that enslaves every single person in this world. Which means when we're made a new creation, the power of sin no longer has any chains on us. When Jesus walked out of the tomb, He conquered death, which means we have nothing to fear, not even death itself, because even when we lose this body, we get a new one. And some of us are in need of a new body. When When Christ rose from the grave, he ascended to the throne. The throne of heaven where, where 1 Corinthians 15 says, all of his enemies are being made his footstool. And when he returns, every single one of his enemies and sin and death will be defeated for all time. They will no longer exist throughout eternity not in the new earth not with the new creation so application therefore in verses 18 through 20 Paul says to all Christians you've been reconciled to God through Christ you know how you were saved you believe Jesus died for your sins well guess what? Now you're ambassadors for him. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of Christ. Romans 10:17. How? Will they hear if no one goes? Well go. God, they're all outside this room. Paul says we're ambassadors by word and deed. Is God's making His appeal through us. Our lives should match up with what we say. And then he says, you've been entrusted with a message to appeal to those who have not yet been reconciled. What's the message? It's simple. Reconcile to God through faith in Christ. Tell them to confess their sins and they will be forgiven. Repent from their sins and follow Christ as Lord. Learn what it means to be a disciple and He will set you free. This isn't meant for everyone or, or anyone, but let me conclude just by asking every single one, to, every single one of you today. Because at times I can believe this too. Is there a sin in your life right now that you think is stronger than the power of God? Sin that you believe it may be too big for Him to forgive or too powerful for Him to set you free? You wonder if God will forgive your sin. If that's you today, if you're wondering, if you're struggling with sin, whatever it may be, if you're not a believer or you are a believer and still just struggling with sin or just feel held captive by it. Listen to verse 21. For our sake, he made him to be sin. Who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. I want you to catch those two words. The first two words. Paul says, for our for our sake. The danger of listening to a testimony such as mine is someone may think that they just we can't relate to one another. It's easy to hear a powerful testimony and to uh, marvel at the amount of grace that that person sharing has received. But verse 21 says it doesn't matter if you can relate to my specific sins or not, because verse 21 says that you should be in awe that your sins were forgiven too. You see, we may have different sins, we all have the same testimony. Every single one of us who are Christians, we all have the same testimony, which is, we were sinners, unworthy and undeserving of God's forgiveness. We were incapable of doing enough good or being good enough in order for God to accept us. And therefore, in our helplessness, for our sake, He made him who knew no sin to be our sin so that we would become the righteousness of God. And loved ones, when we believe that for the first time, he made us a new creation. And for those who have never believed, once you believe for your sake, he made Christ sin who was sinless, you will become the righteousness of God. And at that moment, he is going to transform you into a new creation to the glory of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And all of it will be from God. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, God, you are able to stir the emotions and the affections of those who have never had any for you. And God, I don't care if it's an unbeliever, but whatever it is today, Lord, stir the affections by the truth of your word, by the power of the gospel and the reality of Christ's resurrection and his death that sinners can be forgiven, but the power of his resurrection that they can also be set free, Lord. What is broken in their life, including them, can be restored and be made new. Lord, we ask this to your glory. Amen.